नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चार पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा और राइट टूडेज डिस्कशन इज ऑन क्रिप्टो सो आई बीन वॉन्टिंग टू कवर दिस टॉपिक फॉर अ वाइल आई बीन रीडिंग अबाउट क्रिप्टो करेंसीज और ब्लॉक चेन और द टेक्नोलॉजी you know in general and i was always intrigued by it so there are views that are pro cryptocurrency there are views that are anti cryptocurrency some some say crypto is x some say crypto is y and i i was really intrigued by all the discussion surrounding it so i reached out to rajiv and i told him rajiv let's talk about it and rajiv said let's have a discussion where a couple of people are involved so you know rajiv said uh, let's get gautam in too so Gautam and Rajiv, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Kushal. Thank you for having me. All right. So, uh, so Gautam, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. So, first of all, Gautam, uh, I will request you to t- tell everybody on the podcast a bit about yourself too. And uh, let's start like this, Gautam. Why don't you give all of us uh, some sort of a crypto 101, uh, if you could? Sure. My name is Gautam Chugani. Uh, I I work for Sanford Bernstein. I head financial services and financial technology for for Bernstein. Uh, my crypto journey started in 2017. Crypto as an as an investment class, uh, and uh, you know I think one of the most inter- interesting aspects about uh, crypto has for me obviously a big part that this is a decentralized uh, asset. Miner controls ledger and it controls. uh and it tells you how much money you have uh this is nothing but simply uh, a, a decentralized ledger where the body kind of controlling uh, who 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 owns how uh, all right rajiv uh, i think there's some issue with gautam's audio so let me come to you then uh, while i deal with gautam and his audio audio issue so rajiv let's start with this so let's start with the indian perspective then uh now if you look at in the last i would say the two year period there is a lot of uh, back and forth when it comes to cryptocurrency where uh, there was discussion in the indian uh, um, uh, i would say indian parliamentary level that we were going to look to i think the news was that india is looking to completely stop or ban cryptocurrencies altogether then there were some articles written and now the finance ministry has taken a few things back and they've kind of uh, said you know we will we will consider this uh, in a different uh, different angle but i think the finance minister had also made some statements so if i was to ask you rajiv from an indian perspective what is uh, the issue with cryptocurrency in india well, uh, where do you think things are as of now so some of the problems or challenges kushal that are there with uh, uh, crypto assets and cryptocurrencies in india are sort of generic to all governments and uh, that goes back to control over uh issue of currencies obviously that's been a sovereign sort of privilege uh and and no sovereign is willing to see that privilege now if something like bitcoin comes along and it is perceived or it is seen as a privately issued currency uh you know that that is something which you know every state in the world every sovereign in the world is going to push back against uh and uh, so that is kind of general uh issue with bitcoin in particular not necessarily all cryptocurrencies but bitcoin especially because bitcoin is seen increasingly as a store of value uh you know other some of the other ones you could argue are more like financial assets or they have other kinds of applications that can be built on them like ethereum can be used for that for example uh but uh, uh bitcoin is being seen nowadays as a store of as a store of value and as a currency so uh so 
that's the kind of general issue uh, with all sort of crypto assets the second issue comes specifically with india uh, and that is because we don't have an open capital account so without having an open capital account something like uh, cryptocurrencies enable transfer of money beyond what the indian government permits so uh, currently for individuals that uh, limit on how much money can be transferred by them outside india is about is it is 250000 dollars per person per year so uh, could something like crypto assets be used to circumvent that uh, yes that's possible and maybe it is happening uh, so which is why you know the regulatory sort of uh, agencies in india whether it's rbi uh, and others they are looking at it very seriously as to uh, whether this is to be permitted and there was talk of even a complete ban on cryptocurrencies uh, i think it was uh, last year or earlier this year so so and and the and the second issue i think which is peculiar to india is generally speaking i think in india people tend to you know the first reaction to something that is new or hard to understand hard to explain in terms of technology the first reaction is to you know push back against it completely instead of thinking about how this can be used uh and and it's so different with something like crypto uh this is this is really novel technology and the reaction of the uh, government uh has been you know very 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 uh, they've been very sort of uh, suspicious as to uh, whether they should be allowed or not but uh props to them that after you know that ban was suggested and then people in the sort of blockchain community technologists and investors of different stripes uh people made a noise about it that this would be harmful and then the latest news is that the government has said they're going to constitute a committee to decide what to do maybe a complete ban is not necessary all right so so now that we have gotham back with us gotham now you can go for uh, go for it and give us a, a crypto one on one sorry i don't know where where i where, where i got cut off last time i mean uh, as you know as rajiv was saying you know bitcoin is a simply a store of value uh, to kind of make it simple for the audience you know you kind of compare it to digital gold uh, the reason it's compared to gold is because of its finite uh, supply which is uh, the bitcoin uh, algorithm kind of uh, keeps the supply finite at 21 million bitcoins uh, and 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 as more and more people adopt this uh, as a store of value uh, there's a kind of you know in some ways uh, there is kind of rising demand and sort of finite supply and that's what sort of brings in the digital scarcity or sort of brings gives gives bitcoin value now it doesn't mean that it all goes up in a straight line uh, we've seen multiple cycles in bitcoin uh, where uh, the demand tends to be fairly emotional and sentimental driven by factors such as government bans uh, or an important personality uh, not saying good things about bitcoin uh, which kind of impacts adoption in the short run Uh, but over a period of time uh, most people who understand bitcoin have realized that if you hold it for a fairly long period of time uh, the supply and the digital scarcity already automatically takes care of the returns uh, and hence you know anyone who's held bitcoin for a longer period of time has beaten any other asset class uh, including gold uh, and even for that matter uh, sort of the highest performing equities uh, and that's and that's what makes uh, bitcoin interesting uh the other part of you know so bitcoin is not the only part of the crypto ecosystem uh it has uh, other aspects around it uh particularly the fact that there are something called smart contracts so you know think of internet as uh, exchange of information 
uh, where you're kind of, you know, which made internet just made exchange of email, information, messaging, social media, all of that sort of fairly accessible to everyone. Uh, in, in a way, crypto is making exchange of value uh, sort of fairly accessible to anyone. Uh, and, 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 and once you have sort of value or money flowing freely at the speed of information across the internet, uh, you can also program it, which is where smart, smart contracts comes in, uh, particularly uh, smart contract platforms like Ethereum, which is sort of the preeminent smart contract platform, where imagine anywhere, anyone in India. Uh, so usually, you know, you would see that, you know, people would code in Silicon Valley and build these global companies. So Facebook, uh, uh, you know, is a classic example of that. Everyone kind of, Facebook is Facebook for the world, uh, but it was coded in Silicon Valley. Uh, Ethereum sort of equalizes that, uh, a, you know, a person in India uh, could start coding on Ethereum like, you know, uh, a smart contract or a, or, a, or a financial application and it could be used globally across the world. And in fact, uh, in the current crypto cycle, we've realized a couple of Indian uh, uh, Indian startups have actually uh, built uh, platforms for the world. Uh, and this would not have been possible without Ethereum because it allows you to program value or build a smart contract across 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 uh, across the globe now what is a smart contract just just to kind of make it even simpler for the audience a smart contract is nothing but uh, something which is kind of a programmable logic like if then kind of a statement where if you say x if you if, if x condition is met then you could uh, you know the output could be y and so it's kind of a kind of an if then logic that is kind of coded on the internet uh, but you can now or, or you could simply see it as a decentralized computer across the world uh, where anyone could log on to that computer, be, be it sort of the Ethereum network and start coding something. So that's sort of what's, what smart contract is. And that's what sort of equalizes, in my view, innovation in the world. And that's why Ethereum is so important, sort of becoming the second largest currency. Uh, Ethereum is nothing but, you know, Ethereum has a native token called ETH or ETH, uh, which is used to pay transaction fees on the Ethereum network. And that's how, that's what the Ethereum token does. It's also a way in which the Ethereum network is kept secure uh, by kind of paying that to the miners who keep the sort of Ethereum network uh, sort of secure and, and, and keep validating the transactions. So that's, I would say that's roughly the 101. I know there's a, there's a lot uh, I said in there, but happy to kind of dive into anything that you'd like to talk about. So I actually have a question for Rajiv and maybe Gautam, you can chime in too. So then Rajiv, if I ask you a question, what is the difference between a global uh, public blockchain and a private permission blockchain? Uh, so what would be the difference and why does that difference matter then? Uh, so, so the analogy uh, Kushal had made, uh, you know, when I was sort of, I, I tweeted about this, I said that imagine the Indian rupee and uh, airline miles, let's say Air Vistara miles. So the Indian rupee would be like a global public blockchain and your Air Vistara miles would be like a permissioned blockchain or a private blockchain where, uh, you know, when you, are, when you are, let's say if you're buying Air Vistara miles or if you're dealing with Air Vistara miles, all the control is in the hands of a private player and they can set the terms and conditions for that. Whereas uh, with the rupee, uh, obviously there's much more freedom, you know, as a, as a currency and as a value transfer sort of instrument, the Indian rupee is far more flexible than miles from the airline. Uh, uh, but I mean, you can't pay someone with uh, airline miles, but you can pay someone with rupees. Uh, so that in a way is a crude kind of analogy I would make. And uh, the whole magic of blockchains, I think comes from their kind of 
public nature from their global nature and if if you dumb it down to basically a access controlled sort of database which is what a permissioned blockchain is then you know then you are essentially just turning it into another database and then losing the properties that make that so interesting all right so gotham what, what would you say uh, if i was to ask you the same question between the difference between the two yeah i mean uh, as as rajiv said right uh, the value of uh, if four banks decide to run a blockchain between themselves uh, there's no value where uh, you know anyone else can start come and build uh, the whole grassroots movement global grassroots movement is what makes public blockchains very interesting uh, the other important factor on public blockchains is uh, what is called tokenization so every platform that is launched uh, imagine uh, a startup that is launched on ethereum uh, on a public blockchain like ethereum uh, starts up with a with its own native token you know native token is simply like if tomorrow uber had to start uh, and run instead of running on its own servers won't was wanted to start on the ethereum blockchain uh, it could launch uber token and everyone could kind of participate in that you know the uber drivers would own the uber token the uber uh, Uh, riders would own the Uber token, and that would kind of bring a common skin in the game, and bring very interesting incentive mechanisms around how do you kind of improve adoption of Uber across the world. Uh, I just kind of used Uber as an example, but this is exactly what happens with startups. Uh, when you are on a public blockchain and you have tokenized uh, kind of incentives, uh, this is how those networks are kind of bootstrapped across uh, the Ethereum uh, ecosystem. Uh, and when you kind of do it within sort of four banks, you know, it's kind of between those four banks, between those four. collaborated anyways uh, maybe it kind of brings in some level, level of authenticity but it doesn't result in this tokenization uh, this kind of you know global incentive pools that are being built uh, and this kind of grassroots movement that comes with public blockchains which you know any kind of permission blockchain is completely missing so no, i would also add to that kushal sure i sure. just want to add one more thing to that so what gautam is mentioning actually you know transforms users into almost investors so if you are the early user of a let's say an app built on the ethereum chain then you also become an, by, by tokenization you also become kind of uh, you know have a financial stake in the success of that platform so so uh, so you know for to just draw an analogy like those who were the early twitter users when twitter was uh, sort of created in 2006 you know they were essentially you know whether you were on twitter or facebook uh, uh all the value that was created by the early users accrued to the company accrued to the shareholders of twitter and facebook but uh, in this sort of paradigm what happens is the users also get a stake in the future success all right but no now i want to get into each and every potential you know objection to cryptocurrency now there is the standard cryptocurrency objection which is called national security but i don't want to deal with national security right now because that is the most obvious one of the objection so uh and you know gotham you can take this one to begin with so i'll go with you first because this is a a, a more technical sort of a thing or i don't know so So I was interested reading an interesting article on uh, Barry Weiss's Substack written by Michael Green, and uh, one point stood out for me. So I'm going to ask you this. So the point Michael Green makes is he says money exists for one purpose, that is to cancel debt. So, 
so what his point was he says bitcoin is a speculative asset like all assets and requires systems of law and force to prevent it and that's where they say it kind of runs into problems uh and uh, he, uh, and he says which is why governments need to be very careful when it comes to bitcoin so i don't know if you've read uh, michael green's objection on barry wise's podcast but what do you have to say sorry i didn't uh, i didn't completely catch uh, the the specific objection uh, but from what i gathered is uh, kind of said kind of interview with the governments and government need to be careful is what what i heard uh, you know the thing with bitcoin is uh, the thing with bitcoin is that uh, you know no as 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 well that no one really controls it so it's a, it's a kind of a public blockchain uh, and what you can, so you can only control the kind of access points to bitcoin right so you can only control uh things like uh exchanges uh which is kind of you know how money goes into the into kind of buying bitcoin uh but at the same time uh if you just block the exchanges people can still trade bitcoin you know person to person uh so uh blocking bitcoin is like you know banning bitcoin is like banning uh is like banning almost like banning the internet uh, because you know people could still trade uh, on a person to person basis so uh it's very hard for you know whenever people ask for government intervention with bitcoin and other things it's very hard for most governments to eventually end up realizing that they cannot kind of control it uh, but what they can do is they can start to form rules around it uh, so like raj was saying at the right uh, at some point uh, if you have capital controls then you can kind of figure out how that capital controls will work around uh, if you uh, if you would like to kind of ensure that uh, people are kind of Identity of people is kind of KYC or other kind of you know know your customer and other kind of important anti-money laundering, anti-security, you know, security kind of norms are are followed. Uh, you could follow those kind of identification procedures at the point of 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 uh, when people are buying Bitcoin. But otherwise, just you know, stopping Bitcoin or banning Bitcoin is almost infeasible uh, given the nature of the public blockchain. All right, so Rajiv, this was another point that I found very interesting in this entire uh, process was that. uh now people might say you know so what would be their retort to this objection that i'm raising but here's my uh, uh next query and i don't know what you feel about it but uh so as of now uh at least are in the last week of april so i'm giving you i'm reading you the exact quote from the article in the last week of april mining pools based in china accounted for roughly 90% of the processing power which is called the hash rate in the bitcoin network roughly 3 weeks ago a power outrage in xinjiang region of china resulted in a plunge in global bitcoin processing bitcoin mining the process of record keeping of the immutable chain of record on which the bitcoin network depends is dominated by entities and countries where the stated obviously this article says the stated objective to harm the interest of the united states but i'm going to take this to another direction now the fact of the matter is that china russia and iran do play a disproportionately larger role when it comes to the mining of bitcoin now in such a scenario uh, from an indian perspective i'm coming to you from the indian angle right so india should don't you think india should be extremely careful when it comes to dealing with a technology like this because we might end up inadvertently supporting china uh, which is obviously from a national security perspective and from a you know uh, from a perspective of our stability uh, an actual threat to india no so obviously you know uh, i don't think anybody suggesting that 
India should sort of uh, plunge into this in some way uh, in a irreversible kind of fashion. Uh, having said that, I mean, so how would how would India not banning Bitcoin support China? I don't see the connection there. Uh, so you know, my my case has always been that this should be taxed, this should be regulated. Uh, it should be treated like probably a financial asset uh, because uh, I I I frankly see it like a financial asset. And uh, you know what we need to do is evolve the regulatory mechanisms to uh, basically regulate and tax this. And uh, you know there there are you know anything can be conflated into a national security risk, right? Like you can argue that uh, you know some some Indian sending out money through LRS, putting money into Alibaba stock is indirectly supporting CCP. You can make an argument like that, but is that really uh, sort of that valuable? Uh, or that important, uh, uh, and is it really damaging Indian national security? I don't know. No, but national security angle is true, right, Rajiv? A lot of uh, let's say if uh, uh, again the strength. No, so I'm not suggesting. Strength. See, no, I don't think I don't think anyone is suggesting that start running like let's say the direct benefit transfer onto the Bitcoin uh, network. No one is suggesting that, right? uh so uh, you know it's i don't I, i think it's hard to draw a line between letting people participate in this and uh, seeing that this is a national security threat to india i i get what you're trying to say but here's the thing if somebody wants to sell the idea of bitcoin to someone the first thing they would object to is they will create a, a scenario where they'll say well you know because the the beauty of the the bitcoin network is the the decentralized nature and the decentralized nature kind of creates that untraceability phenomena or 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 uh, of uh, uh, the nature itself no, on the contrary the... on the contrary actually on the contrary actually you can trace right because everything is on the public chain uh you know unlike cash which is which is actually sort of anonymous you know someone sends you a, a, a envelope full of currency notes today you don't know who sent it but i think you can sort of uh, see the entire chain of transactions right on the global uh, public chain that is bitcoin i mean gotham can connect correct me if i'm wrong here but i think it is actually more traceable now who's behind the particular wallet or something maybe a different question uh, but but with cash you just don't know i mean if someone drops off a bag of cash in front of your house you you can never tell where it came from i get it but still uh don't you think when i don't know how to say it because i'm someone who's actually i mean i i want to be openly uh you know open and honest over here i am not opposed to bitcoin at a personal level i'm not but i'm just trying to think uh, and do my level best and present the point because everybody comes down to this what if the terrorists use it angle they they just have that very specific point that is raised every time and i know balaji has taken this point on uh, balaji shrinivasan has spoken about it many times but the point is that 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 is a legitimate concern that what if it is taken over by no, no there is no doubt that the for sure there is no doubt that the digital nature of the uh, uh, asset here the digital and the free flowing nature means that it's much more easier to sort of transfer around uh, and that makes a difficult that presents a difficult challenge uh but but this is like a any this is like any new technology so i i would go with the approach of 
trying to regulate it i think governments world over are wrestling with this challenge is not just india uh, i think you would find that the us government uh, uh, many european governments they are all sort of thinking about it uh, what to do with it and so uh, i just i just believe that it's worth keeping the door open trying to think through rationally instead of just like you know shutting yourself out from something that is clearly going to be a novel sort of valuable uh, approach of uh, sort of transferring value on the internet okay fair enough so so gautam i wanted to come to you now and uh, here's my question to you so uh, rajiv just used uh, the word regulation now i was reading a very interesting article recently and uh, the point raised over there was that uh, there is going to be eventual regulation done uh, i think we've lost gautam so rajiv i'm going to come to you while gautam uh, gautam comes back so i was just reading this article in fact i'll i'll tell you where i read it uh, it was uh, it was on cnbc uh, it was written by ramesh kailasham he, and uh, he made an interesting point he said crypto exchanges must ensure due diligence on tokens and projects around the robustness of the underlying blockchain code a combination of regulation and self regulation will be a key element to ensure further accountability and transparency now uh, to me i'll again i'll try to draw analogies uh, i know they are not one on one and they're not the same case but i'll give you a classic case of uh, what's happening let's say with facebook or any other any other company you know what happened so you have this classic case where facebook or for that matter uh, twitter or for that matter any other company right now is going through a phase where who's going to you know who's going to be regulating them is it are they going to be regulated by the government in the case of governments across the world or are they going to self regulate so what seems to be happening right now at least in the united states of america is the governments are very reluctant in regulating those you know tech giants now in the case of cryptocurrency where do you see this going is it going to be the case of more self regulation because at least in the case of self regulation i find you know these big tech giants making a lot of mistakes and making a lot of inconsistent uh decisions where uh they they seem to have inconsistent policies where the policy is applied to x and doesn't seem to be applied to y now which route would you say be the best one when it comes to cryptocurrency should the, it start with a lot of self regulation as that article suggested or it could go on to let's say you know a more robust way of government regulation so i was so i'm saying uh, this is something where ultimately it's a financial uh, uh, kind of industry right financial sector so probably the case for self regulation is not so uh, prudent in my view uh, there should be uh, you know more proactive uh, involvement from the government i think it actually that actually will benefit uh, the whole sector uh, and and uh, that would also require many uh, uh, agencies many sort of regulatory authorities to show certain open mindedness uh because because this is uncharted territory actually in many ways so so you know if you if we rewind back uh you know few hundred years to when the joint stock company was created so you know the joint stock company that we take for granted today that someone can become a shareholder in a business that someone else is running uh i think i think is that kind of a paradigm shift where it was absurd to put your money into an entity with someone else's controlling because you know someone would say why are you doing that how do you know what the guy will do 
but then obviously that joint stock structure that uh, formation of the company as we call it today enabled all kinds of risk taking it enabled all kinds of projects to get funded which otherwise would not be fundable and uh, uh, it's a similar kind of a shift where regulation is necessary for sort of broad participation and for ensuring that you know there's no damage done actually on a large scale so so let let's say if we are saying regulation again i found the, uh, the this recommendation very interesting again from the same article they say crypto assets should be treated like stock and gst should be levied on the brokerage or exchange fees but not on the transaction value all individuals holding crypto assets must disclose their holdings in their income tax returns like the existing schedule al at the end of the financial year appropriate fema regulations and hs codes should be applied for crypto asset purchases from outside india and appropriate persons so uh, or entities should be allowed to import it and notify what do you say about this that's not a reasonable approach i think that's not a, i mean we exchanges should be regulated right so uh i mean there is no unregulated stock exchange that sort of is stable and i think stability is necessary for this sector to grow for participation to widen so uh you know something on the lines of what you just talked about it may not be a bad way to begin thinking about it all right so now again it comes down to this there is this thing that's going around i know you you might say oh this is ridiculous but is crypto a ponzi scheme a ponzi scheme i mean see ponzi scheme has a very specific meaning where you know the scheme sustains itself by drawing in new investors and the principle of the new investors is, is used to pay out the old investors right that's what a ponzi scheme is uh and over here actually all the activity that we see in you know the price sort of volatility in assets like bitcoin and so on i think that volatility comes from secondary market trading so there are people who are buying and selling bitcoins and essentially speculating in uh, uh btc and other kind of assets and thus there is price volatility uh i think that contributes probably significantly to that uh, volatility so uh in in that sense i don't really think that it's a ponzi scheme as such uh i mean people can always argue whether gold has value is gold a ponzi scheme i don't think so i mean uh, and gautam also said that analogy i think really holds that uh, btc is particularly now being seen as a store of value uh, there are other chains there are other sort of crypto assets that are coming up for different other applications and they may not necessarily be used as a store of value to begin with in in fact the ethereum sort of uh, uh blockchain came up as a result of uh, bitcoin transforming itself into a value store uh and ethereum was then you know the creator of ethereum vitalik buterin uh he sort of uh came up with this because you know those who were trying to sort of let's like, say develop decentralized applications what are called uh d apps we're not able to do so on the bitcoin chain anymore so so i mean see what gets the maximum media attention is you know uh, bitcoin crashed 30% dogecoin is up 200% but this is a very uh, you know large world it's a there are a lot of things happening in it i think engaging in a serious and thoughtful way with this technology is necessary it's probably 
it's it's pro- I, I certainly think it is here to stay and it is going to make a big impact particularly in fields like finance all right so another interesting thing that had happened recently was obviously i mean i uh, i i find i i don't understand this subject at all that's why i'm more intrigued by it so the value of bitcoin went like this when elon musk said i like it then suddenly elon said i don't like it <laughs> and then it goes down like this now the point is not whether elon said i like it or i don't like it the point was why did elon back off now but this is a factual point right that you know bitcoin consumes a lot of energy the bitcoin mining process is a very energy consuming process now there some people have said that it uh, the the energy level required for mining bitcoin has now reached the equivalent level of the amount of power that would be needed in the entire country say like sweden now which is why you know folks like let's say elon said okay this is not my thing now i did say i like said bitcoin but since this has been expo uh, you know shown to me i'm not a bitcoin bro as they say so 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 he he went off the bogey so what do you uh, what do you think is a possible solution to this energy consumption argument no so uh, that is a legitimate concern obviously uh, so, so for example now uh, with ethereum uh, so the reason the reason uh bitcoin mining is so energy intensive is it employs this method this cryptographic method uh which which is you know what's called proof of work so you have to perform some computational sort of uh, uh energy intensive computation to establish that you know you earn the earn the coin you mine the coin uh so so that is why that's because of the computational intensity there is the energy intensity there is the heavy energy use uh so uh now basically to address that issue with ethereum for example ethereum is now moving from a proof of work to a proof of stake approach so i mean i don't want to get into too much technicality here but, but that in some ways would address the sort of energy question which is a valid no, question so so how how does that so can you explain this difference between proof of work to the other other part no so uh, so proof of stake uh, validates the transactions differently uh, so uh, i mean i don't know how to sort of say it without using jargon and then you know then you go on a jargon ra- ra- rabbit hole uh, but but essentially okay let me put it this way so 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 proof of work which was like the uh, original sort of consensus mechanism with blockchain and it was used to confirm sort of the uh, uh, whether a transaction had happened and the, you know the new blocks would be added to the chain uh, uh, that was an energy intensive way and proof of stake basically changes that uh, by sort of uh, the 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 duplication actually on the uh, network which is uh, doing the sort of transaction uh, or the nodes on the network are reduced okay fine so this would be like good so somebody has made a very good point so you uh, you need gpus and asic to mine proof of work uh, you don't need such systems for proof of state yeah so good so we have a live viewer who has kind of uh, explained so, it beautifully no, no so no so then 
you know the energy intensity reduces and then the whoever is mining uh with a uh, proof of stake approach uh that uh, that person is limited to sort of mining you know the scale of transactions that is reflective to how much of the ownership stake you have all right so got it so, now I mean, let in me a way, get in a way, there is a, there is a trade off here there is no no one second there is a trade off here actually so you know the security the security of that uh proof of stake approach is slightly lower than the proof of work approach right but uh, uh in a way the energy intensity is reduced mm -hmm. got it so now let me get into another phase so this is what i have always understood so for me and i don't know if i'm getting this correctly or not because see i i don't get this subject very well you have been following it far more than i do so let me uh, tell me if i'm getting this wrong i am not so obsessed with bitcoin i am obsessed with the technology blockchain as a technology itself and the way it could be used in other areas in life other areas of governance other areas of uh, you know maybe let's say uh disrupting big tech could let's say technology that that has come out of say you know crypto and bitcoin be used in some sort of disruption of big tech because i don't want to be it, 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 people should not come up and say kushal is obsessed with bashing crypto so i i also want to see the good side no, in it no actually actually so that is that is one of the most high potential sort of areas uh, where uh i think i think a lot of interest is there in addressing the monopoly power the platform power of uh the big tech players so so i think we are in early stages but but uh, a lot of smart people are getting behind this a lot of smart engineers a lot of smart money uh, uh is getting behind this idea that uh, the only way to take out the sort of monopoly power of large platforms is is by building decentralized applications on the chain and and let me give you something more concrete as well actually kushal so because you know we are both in india we all know how difficult it is uh, to sort of enforce contracts in india right mm -hmm. so let me paint certain uh, kind of blue sky scenario of how this could help india in particular so uh, when it comes to contract enforcement you know let's say, let's say you get into a contract with a vendor uh or you are sort of working with a company who's empaneled you as a vendor for a particular task and then then comes the time to pay after the task is completed and the guy is not paying up right so so what do you do uh your options are you go to court you go through the lower court system you try to enforce your rights and you try to extract the payment from you know the person who's supposed to pay you mm -hmm. uh but but as we all know that is a slow time consuming unreliable a process in india right because of just the sheer lack of judicial capacity so can you kind of put this kind of a uh, agreement into a smart contract format where you know like gautam was explaining it's an if then system once once a particular task is done then the payment is released uh and and there's no there is no space to sort of play those kind of games where uh, somebody withholds a payment and then it gets into a legal dispute burdening already but burdening the already overburdened legal system in the country so so this is one of the potential sort of blue sky 
applications that could be valuable for a country like india and i believe many other countries in the developing world where contract enforcement is an issue yeah i i, I can't control my laughter but i don't know why i find this funny i know i know no no uh, no no I, you I know, know, I, know. So, i have actually so, i have actually written about this and when i say this i know people laugh at me but i i do think that it's i i do think it is possible yeah but uh, this uh, this comment by a viewer is kind of very interesting he thinks he says i think government of india will mandate aadhar bank crypto <laughs> that's actually so true so, so that is that is see that is one way to uh, if you, if you link it if the way pan cards are now linked to aadhar yeah. uh, cards yeah. right so if you want to do a certain type of kyc like know your customer so so just mm. to know who all are trading in crypto or are holding crypto so you regulate the exchanges you tie the identity of the individual to a certain uh, you know government issued id like the aadhar or whatever and then yeah. then you can know right like you know this person has traded so much so then you can kind of regulate and tax the uh, activity yeah you could but again uh, the problem is that now uh, the good thing and the bad thing in crypto is that there is no one sole owner right it is a decentralized system so nobody really has ownership of this thing but then rajiv again no no but you can own see no 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 one second there's a slight confusion here so there is the bitcoin network which you know we call bitcoin this is the asset right which we should call btc just to be clear mm-hmm. because even the bitcoin asset is called bitcoin and the network is also called bitcoin yeah so you can own btcs in your wallet uh you know that that ownership aspect is pretty clear yeah but let me let me tell you where i was coming so think like uh because we are on india think like a bureaucrat sitting in delhi or in any corner of india so the classic in you know impulse of a bureaucrat is i want to control it the thing about bitcoin is it is not controllable one and and the rule in india is one that is not controllable should not be allowed because the moment it is not controllable we cannot manage it we cannot regulate it if we cannot manage it and we cannot regulate it we lose our grip and we don't know where it goes and that's why the resistance from the babudam will come again so how do we tell them there is a difference between you not being able to control it and there being absolute chaos no so control what right like can we get more precise about that Uh, what are you trying to control exactly well we are trying to control the nature of the asset itself where, where look at the end of the day currency right does the currency no no one second so does the government try to control a particular company's uh, value the government does, does not the government try to the, but does the government try to control the price of gold does the government try to control the a, a barrel of crude oil i mean these are all things which are beyond the government's control right so in the same way this is this is also the i mean the price of the particular digital asset is not in the government's control it will never be just like any other uh, sort of traded commodity all right then 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 what what happens in that case that because i know this might happen because i see this you know in in a babu's mind going iska kya kare so iska ye solution hai so what if uh, somebody in the in the delhi corridors of power says we like crypto we will launch our own cryptocurrency then what happens by all means i think india should i think india should launch a central bank digital currency as indeed you know many many governments are contemplating including japan the united states the european central bank in the eu 
so they are all contemplating launching a cbdc and and india should too but but see we should understand that this is not a zero sum game just because you know ethereum and bitcoin exist doesn't mean that other cryptocurrencies can't exist mm-hmm. i get it the challenge is going to be exp- explaining this to a bureaucrat rajiv that is the problem no so so which is where you know i i think certain you have to come into it with a beginner's mind you have to come into it with certain intellectual humility humility that this is a new area and you have to spend some time in understanding what this is and how it can help the country which i i do think it can help the country i mean we have entrepreneurs india has some uh you know brilliant coders and technologists who are working in this space so so india should support them okay so 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 okay then again i'll ask you this counter again then then tell me how it helps the country i just gave you an example uh can you have a smart contract system in india for many kinds of business to business transactions for many kinds of business to consumer transactions can you have a smart contract system can we can we reduce the load on the judiciary that that's fair so so you're saying bitcoin becomes some sort of an arbitrator where a lot of no, arbitration that is i mean let's not let's not you say bitcoin i would say blockchains blockchain sorry okay. I, i'll use smart, the correct word smart contracts smart contracts that are on chain can be used to ease the burden especially on lower courts in india i would mind happening in the so supreme I'm, court also i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not a uh, you know uh, a technologist or a, a developer in this case but but you know just looking at a, at, a, at a very high level i think this can happen and in fact someone should make it happen fair enough okay now let me start taking a few questions and then we can wrap it up so somebody has asked uh, is money a unit of energy or time or both so what is your view <laughs> i don't know how to answer that <laughs> that doesn't seem to make that much sense to me to be honest okay so so okay then if i was to tell you what the what part of it doesn't make sense to you i mean a unit of i mean money money can help you buy time right i, I don't know what else to say uh money can sort of create time for you if you spend it in a judicious way all right that, that yeah i mean if if somebody was to ask me this is is money a unit of energy or time or both i would say money is a useful fiction agreed upon homo sap agreed upon by homo sapiens <laughs> to live some sort of a life that there you go there's your answer i think uh, money is a fictional notional concept that we've created so the it ends there it doesn't matter if it's a unit of energy or a unit of time it is just a fictional entity that we've created um now there were a few questions that i actually i had received on email again most of them because i had you know asked a few of my friends about this and the only you know thing uh that seems to be coming every single time to me from most of the viewers of the podcast was that what if terrorists use it what if terrorists use it i don't know why but they keep on using everybody no, no. no i mean there i mean there's no doubting it and, and, I, and as i said the the digital nature the easy to transfer nature i mean it can be used for good it can be used for bad like any technology uh, which is why i believe regulation is important 
yeah it's, look my answer to each and every person was uh, terrorists also use cash are you going to ban cash I mean, absolutely they do answer. i mean maoists are not using credit cards right maoists are using cash yeah so we don't bat cash right we 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 have to live with it so i get the answer but but then what does it say to the psychology of the person that again i bring you back to the babu's mentality the babu is a human being the, the babu is also going to think like that which is no, where it's no, that a, is, it's that, a huge that is valid that is yeah it it is a challenge which is why like i said you know regulators have to come at it certain open mindedness uh you know uh, i think it's just human nature to sort of be fearful of something that is new you know the first reaction is you know what the hell is this like i don't want to deal with it right when you see something novel uh and and frankly uh, regulators in particular have that mindset and the, especially in the financial space indian regulators have always been erring on the side of caution you know their their first instinct is to protect to sort of you know uh, ring fence like small investors ring fence sort of depositors and rightfully so uh, uh my view is that we've always overreached on that front to the detriment of the larger economy so when you try to spot out each and every kind of uh kind of misconduct where where you know you 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 go for a zero defect so to say uh then then you know you also lose something in the process hmm we do but then again it's like for me uh the the unrelenting feature of this entire crypto or bitcoin or whatever you want a blockchain discussion has been it is on one side you have technologists so again this is my follow up question to you on one side you have technologists who have built this thing right these people are technically qualified they understand their game they will use technical jargon jargons and they think what's the problem it's it's so clear like i'll give you an example i'll give you a good prop parallel example nuclear energy and nuclear power right nuclear power if we look at the data we look at papers we look at it in a very dispassionate way we know the greenest form of energy available today on planet earth if we look at it from a holistic perspective is nuclear energy the moment you present it and and it's very funny that you know usually clean energy is a thing of the left but the one thing hated the most by a significant portion of the left is nuclear power the moment you talk about nuclear power all that goes into the mind of the other side that is not technically qualified that is not into that field that is not into the nitty gritties of the subject itself is chernobyl three mile island or fukushima and then they have this photo of the atomic bomb blasting and uh, who was that guy who said you know who recited the bhagavad gita who came up with the atomic bomb today I, yeah oppenheimer and then he was reciting the bhagavad gita this is what happens on the other side this is somehow what i have noticed in my entire understanding of the discussion on cryptocurrencies bitcoins blockchain on the one side you have these tech savvy entrepreneurs across the world just like the nuclear uh, pro nuclear guys they are going on oh bitcoin is amazing bitcoin is this bitcoin is that and on the other side are clueless people looking at this and saying ye humko maar dalenge this is what is happening and the no, gap is no, so, no, so huge see the see the see, see the problem uh, the problem sort of of or the the challenge of something 
new like blockchains and crypto assets is that you know you have to look at it from all lenses of law economics software even international relations and and uh, there are many facets to it and you know each each sort of specialist each specialist in that particular area looks at it from their perspective without looking at the bigger picture uh and and you know they they also tend to sort of assume the worst possible in that particular field right so 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 like uh, you know like the international relations or foreign policy expert can say you know this is going to be used for terrorism or this is going to be used for nefarious purposes uh by you know extra national actors or whatever and then you know the economist will say you know what are central banks going to do and this is a kind of attack on the uh, privilege of the sovereign that uh, only states can issue currencies and now you have private people issuing currencies private entities issuing currencies so so every entity kind of looks at it from their lens and assumes the worst uh but but i think what is important is taking a sort of holistic view uh and an interdisciplinary view of what this enables of what uh this can be used for and uh, you know most often people will say but what is it being used for you know there's no use for it there's just like rampant speculation and hype but you know i would submit that that is the nature of all new technologies you know you need to give people to space give people the space to experiment and try to create uh, applications so if you if you just enter a kind of research lab and say you know what is this used for what is this used for you can dismiss a lot of things in a in a lab like that and and frankly we are in the early stages of this this is this is not fully developed this is not fully evolved yet which is why it is such a great opportunity for entrepreneurs and technologists uh, okay so just one more thing that i wanted to know your um, you know view on and then i'll ask one more question from the live viewers too um do you think in this entire debate on blockchain crypto or any any related subject do you think somewhere down the line the technology creators have maybe failed in any way to maybe communicate better no i think you know if you follow what they are saying like if you follow their own writings if you follow follow uh, some of these uh pioneers on 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 their blogs on twitter and so on i mean they are saying all the right things but just you know the media narrative is such that you know i was i was doing a comparison between you know people have been talking about dogecoin right so dogecoin has been going up in price and sucking up all the attention so i was saying you know someone someone asked me that look at dogecoin what is this absurd sort of thing happening there so i said you know do you think salman khan represents indian cinema are you going to are you going to sort of dismiss all indian cinema because of let's say salman khan and his output i mean there are there are, there are, there's a lot going on here right so why look at the most frankly lame thing happening in the entire ecosystem and just saying that everything is crap because of this one particular thing so so engaging in a serious way engaging in a humble way with this is necessary i think i think it's a revolutionary technology for many reasons i mean some of them have already gone over in the last one hour uh 
and and you know when people keep saying what is it used for what is it used for well please give it some time fair enough you you could say please give it some time and uh, i'll give you a very honest answer i think uh, uh, i got exposed to crypto purely literally because of you mujhe kuch pata nahi tha i i i saw you uh, sharing articles on it and talking about it and then i got intrigued and then you know my me being me i started reading more 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 and then i kept on reading and listening to a few podcasts and then obviously balaji uh, i've been reading balaji in a you know uh, you know very regularly and and this is my honest input to the pro crypto side as as someone who's actually sympathetic to the technology and who's very intrigued by it is that i think the communication needs to be a little bit better i think sometimes the the explanations are too technical uh i think there is too much technology jargon uh people like no, but, I, no, but, Bushnell, that's the, but but that is the challenge right so how do you talk about this without using jargon i mean it's very hard to sort of de-jargonize i mean one can try to make analogies but ultimately someone has to do the work of engagement i mean you can de-jargonize it up to a point uh but but uh, it is the frankly it is the same with you know all new technologies you know when when the internet came along 25 years ago then if you had to talk about the internet you had to use certain kinds of jargon and over time those uh, kind of technical words get normalized in the discourse and we don't think of them as jargon anymore so this is one of those things where uh, those who are trying to build will sort of obviously have an incentive to learn and even those who are let's say trying to use or engage with this uh there are certain things that one would need to learn all right so i'll just take this last which is question. why i think which is which is why i think what happens is uh the people who are sort of drawn into it are the curious ones that you know what is happening here let's figure out try to figure out what is going on uh and and those who are the less curious ones or you know they tend to be dismissive that this is all all nonsense and it's going to end soon or whatever all right uh, so or or either either it's that or it's people who are looking at it from their own specialist lens without looking at it from a slightly holistic uh uh perspective all right so one last question Raj- rajiv and we'll wrap it up so somebody anirudh has asked as we know crypto's main advantage is it gives finite supply of an asset class between but now we have a finite supply of infinite different cryptos so does this challenge its core belief and value so uh no i don't think that was the initial uh, let's sort of i would challenge that question a little bit so there are many different types of crypto assets right so as as gautam was mentioning there are different types of tokens that anyone can issue i mean uh, a token is essentially a kind of a property share almost in a particular uh, application right so it is like i said like you you are you are a user and you also an investor think of it like that uh so so uh, as as sort of this kind of gets more pervasive maybe you will see more and more assets and uh, there's nothing wrong with that all right so 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 time to wrap it up but before i wrap things up so any closing comments that you want to make go for it rajiv i uh, know so i would i would just say that it makes sense to sort of uh sort of uh, engage with it like as in an open minded way 
uh, yes, there are challenges and risks, risks associated with this, like with any new technology, and that requires prudent regulation. All right. And and the other bigger the bigger point to understand, Kushal, and this is where sort of I differ with many of my uh, very smart friends uh, who think otherwise, is that uh, if you look at the history of the state, you know the state is an entity which is, you know the state or government. uh like if you look at the history of that entity over centuries you will find that the state evolves in response to technology uh the state is not a static kind of a structure right so so today we take democracy for granted you know the one person one vote system i mean even one person one vote wasn't so common in the world a century ago uh if you go back further if you go back a few more hundred years even democracy was not common you know there was a there was a, a monarchic system that was far more common there were like royal families there was divine right to rule but then uh, why did we why did we make the shift from that kind of a top down approach to a participative participative democratic system well it had to do with changes in communications technology it had to do with changes in transportation technology so it is ultimately technology which you know shapes the nature of government it it sort of affects the nature of the state and uh, the internet has changed the state in so many ways in the last 20 years right so you know 25 years ago if some event happened in one corner of india you would not read about it until the next in the newspaper or magazine or something right now you are instantly seeing images of it videos of it people are commenting on it live and uh, thus the expectation of responsiveness from government also changes if people know what is going on they expect the government to respond in a certain way they expect the leaders to be engaged in a certain way you know uh, people expect more and more information from the state and they expect leaders who are more and more responsive which was not the case probably 25 years ago i mean imagine how much you could hide when no one has the internet and there's hardly any television right so so uh, uh, now pervasive sort of uh ubiquitous communications technology easy transportation has really changed things in india we i mean i'm talking about india in particular not just because we live here because we because we've seen the change seen this change in our lifetimes right absolutely uh uh so so once again you know something new comes along and that will somewhere i i think it will change the nature of the state I agree. I I I understand, and I think like any new concept uh, out there, this is just the nature of uh, how the cookie crumbles. The human nature. Some people are going to be curious. Some people are going to be fearful. Some people are going to be, you know, Absolutely. hands on or or hands off, and and that's just how it's going to be uh, with uh, with uh, crypto or blockchain or Bitcoin, whatever it is. I'm agnostic to it, but I'm definitely on the curious side of it. with a little bit of sympathy to the arguments made by the people who are pro crypto so uh, it is what it is also before we wrap things up i just want to make make this way clear we're all speaking here in our individual capacity especially i am not sponsored by any cryptocurrency so just be, be, before someone thinks kushal ko koi sponsor kar raha hai bhaiya humko koi sponsor nahi kar raha i am just a guy who's curious about it and i genuinely find it intriguing i just find it very intriguing as to what is happening and i i always think 
about cryptocurrency or anything from a philosophical perspective. So, so my interest uh, was only there. And Rajiv is also speaking on an individual basis, and so was Gautam. And and I apologize, we could not you know fix Gautam's internet, so he had to leave the chat. Maybe you know so somewhere down the line in the future. You know, I'll get Gautam again on the chat. But Rajiv, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. You've always been kind enough to come and you know explain things in detail to to all the listeners over here. So once again, thank you very much, brother. No, thanks, Kushal. Always fun to chat with you. All right, guys, time to wrap it up. If you like the podcast, Take please care. subscribe to the channel, share the video, leave your comment, support the Charvak podcast by becoming a subscriber on Patreon. or on youtube you can send direct donations on upi or buy the charvak podcast merch on kushalmehra.com or kadakmerch.com i'll see you next time until then namaste take care goodbye